Good morning. <laughs> I am delighted to be here with you all today. I've been excited to come out to Fountainhead for some time. I love Matt. <laughs> Matt is a delight. He's been awesome uh, for me to get to know over the years. I've been privileged for a while to teach some classes here and there, and Matt always likes to come and haunt those classes and, you know, give me a hard time, but I really do appreciate Matt, and I'm, appreciate, I'm very appreciative of the ministry that he's got going on here at Fountainhead. I'm appreciative of this event. I think this is outstanding. This is a great thing that you all are doing today and hosting this for the area congregations, and, uh, you know, we were talking on the phone yesterday. I said, if y'all have 50 people show up, it'll be a blessing to those 50. And you can just grow that each year as, as you continue to do it. And man, what a great turnout today. What a great thing you guys are doing. Very glad to be a part of it. Good to see some uh, friends from here and there who've come out today as well. And uh, I, I didn't know the Julian on the, the list is Julian, yeah, from school. So I, I was, I'm really glad he's, he's here too. All right, so let's get to work. I've been asked to, uh, to bring some thoughts about evangelism, and uh, I come at it from maybe a little bit different angle, uh, and I believe, and I, I may hurt some feelings, but I believe the angle that I come at on the subject matter of evangelism is a little more biblical than perhaps the way we have sold it to ourselves over the years. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to, to be in John chapter 1 for our first session we're going to work strictly from the text of John 1. I may throw in some, some uh, additional uh, passages along the way. Most of those will be very familiar to you. And then in the second session, we'll work from uh, Colossians, but uh, uh, they kind of play off of each other. So if you're here for the first session, I'm going to primarily be challenging our mindset about outreach. And in the second session, I'm going to try to equip us with some very practical things that we can do. In fact, they're so practical, you're going to think some of them are dumb, but they're not. They're actually very biblical. Uh, so if you're here for the first session, I hope you'll stay for the second. Malvin did an outstanding job challenging us right out of the gates, and I'm going to try to do that in this first session as well. Most of you know Matthew 28, right? The Great Commission, Jesus, the last thing he says on planet Earth before ascending to the right hand of the Father. Go and make disciples of all nations. How, Jesus? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, the end of the world, the end of time. Man, how many of us know those words? They're, they resonate in our, in our memory. They they're always constant. They, they should be part and parcel of who we are as the people of God. His last command should be our first priority. But do we live that way? Let me introduce you to some 1980s technology, okay? When I was, uh, when I was a kid, this is the kind of stuff we had. We didn't have, you know, I don't know, Xbox uh, whatever number it is, one now, and, you know, PS4 and whatever, uh, we had this, okay, and an Atari 2600, if anybody remembers that. And, uh, yeah, there you go, man. <laughs> and then Intellivision and ColecoVision, and it just kept progressing. Anyway, 
So this is what we had. And, and you know this. This is a game that's very common called Simon Says. And truth be told, you don't need that contraption to play Simon Says. You know how Simon Says works, right? If Simon says to do something, what do you do? You do that thing. And if Simon does not say to do something, in fact, if you're given a command, but Simon Says isn't attached to it, then what do you do? You do not do that thing. We understand those principles very well when it comes to a kid's game. We understand the words of Jesus very well. The reality, though, is if we played a game, not Simon Says, but a game in the church called Jesus Says, I wonder how seriously we would take those words because if Jesus says it, a lot of times we have the attitude, we don't really have to do it. We just need to memorize it. And you know those words I just gave you from the Great Commission. You've heard them in a hundred sermons in your lifetime. You have those words memorized. Do you take them seriously? This is uh, my oldest daughter, okay? I'm in deep mourning because she just turned 13 in March. I am my first teenager. And I can remember a man in the delivery room holding her and thinking, this is the greatest of all of God's creations. This is the most amazing day of my life. And here she is. I'm a short guy. She's already taller than me, you know, looking up at my 13-year-old daughter. That's a mess right there. You know, imagine I, I said to her, hey, Hannah, we got some company coming over. Go, go clean your room up because you know they're going to go back in your room. And let's say that she, she disappears for a little while. And she comes back after some time and she comes to me and she says, Daddy, guess what? I memorized what you said. Daddy, I memorized your command. You said, Hannah, go clean your room. That's exactly how you said it. Here's the tone you used. You said, Hannah, go clean your room. In exactly that way. And I've memorized how you said it. Daddy, I can say it in Greek. Later on, Dad, we're going to have some friends over and we're going to study about what it would look like if I cleaned my room. Do you think that I would be okay with that? Do you think her mama would be okay with that? She knows better. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> Why don't we? Malvin said, being a disciple of Jesus means two things. Following and being changed and transformed by that following. And I got to tell you, I, I don't mean to step, I don't know y'all. <laughs> Matt hadn't told me much about the church life here other than he loves it. And I'm happy to hear that. So when I speak about church life today, I'm not, I'm not a hired gun to come out and, you know, get on y'all about something. I'm merely talking about something I see across the board in our churches. Because we have a mindset in our churches today that we've got a missions committee over there and they meet in that room. And we do our duty by showing up on Sunday because you know what? I've been baptized and I got my ticket punched and I'm on the gravy train to heaven. Tell me that's not what most of our congregations look like. Every Sunday when I stand up before people, which is my privilege to speak the gospel, you know, I, I don't take that lightly. 
And part of my job is to remind every person in attendance that you have a purpose in life. Your purpose is not to get your kids to soccer practice. As important as that might be, I'm not discounting the value of such things. Your purpose in life is not even to get your kids to school on time. As important as that might be, your purpose in life is to follow Jesus in whatever you do. And the reminder each and every weekend is a simple one, that every one of us has a job to do. His last command must be our first priority. And we must live that way if we're truly following. This past year, I have three daughters, and this past year, last year, I had the privilege as a daddy of baptizing my two oldest daughters, 13 and 12, and man... As a dad, your heart just overflows with love, right? But I've been very careful to try to teach my daughters, hear me out, that that's not the finish line. That that's the starting gate. And I grew up hearing so many sermons which made it seem like baptism was the finish line. Yeah! We got him across the finish line. No, 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 no. You got that backwards. If I were to draw a picture up here of a great mountain and say your job is to climb the mountain and go over it, where would you place baptism on that mountain? A lot of people, the way I hear them talk, they would put it right at the apex, at the pinnacle, and they'd say, that's it. That's where we're headed. No, no, no. It should be down there at the bottom of the mountain where you start before you hit the uphill climb. It's the starting gate. And as a result, what you're ending up with is a lot of our young people who've been taught this idea that baptism is the finish line, they're growing up and they're attending worship and they're flat bored with it because they don't see the purpose. They've already done everything they thought they were supposed to do. They've checkmarked all the boxes, all the empty boxes. They've, they think they've done those things. And so they're ending up Wondering, what's the purpose of church? Why am I here? I mean, this stuff really doesn't apply to my life. What a disservice to allow them to grow up with that kind of mindset. Time out. That's not just young people. We got a couple of generations of our brothers and sisters in Christ in our churches today who've grown up with that exact mindset. That's why you see them coming in the front door and leaving out the back door just as fast as they're coming in. Isaiah 43, 7, the Lord God says, I've created you for a purpose. Your purpose is to glorify me. I hear all these people all the time, they say, I don't know what my purpose is in life. What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? I know one. I don't care what you think your purpose is. I know one for sure. And it's the main one. It's the underlying interwoven purpose of glorifying God in your life, in whatever you do, word and deed. Glorify God your Father in heaven. And we need to instill that in our people, in our churches today. And part of following, man, it really does revolve around this idea that the last command, are you listening, should be our what? First priority. <laughs> Do you take that seriously? Currently, young Christians reach adulthood, bored with church experience. Now watch this. And with little or no realization of their calling as missionaries 
I'm coming back to that word missionary in just a few minutes. Tell me that's not true. Tell me that's not true of young adults. <laughs> Tell me that's not true of senior adults. That's true across the board. The church is not an audience of spectators. We were created in Christ Jesus to be new creations and to multiply ourselves to also be disciple makers. How many sermons have I heard over the years? They'll say something like this. Well, we're not just becoming disciples. What did Jesus say? Go and what? Make what? Disciples of all nations. We're not just disciples. We're supposed to be making disciple makers. And if we, you ever heard this? And if we would just make disciple makers, if, if I made you a disciple and then you made somebody else a disciple, I mean, you're just multiplying. I've heard that and heard it and heard it. Where have you seen a church where they do that? I don't see a lot of it. What we need to do is be equipping our people when they're in the building, when they're gathered on Sunday to be refueled, to then leave these doors and to be the hands and mouthpiece of Jesus in whatever setting they find themselves, whether it's their workplace. Paul says some things about that. In school. I mean, whatever you find yourself doing, to show people Jesus in their lives. And I think part of our trap in our churches is we've created this idea, like I mentioned before, we got a missions committee over there, and they meet over there, and they talk about outreach. And we got some very skilled folk in the church. They know how to do open Bible study. Or they know how to do fishers of men. Time out, time out. I'm not saying anything negative about fishers of men or, or open Bible study. Those are great ways to study. But we have this idea that we have to master or learn one of those methods in order to be effective in sharing Jesus with the world around us. And I'm here to tell you, can I just tell you, I, I don't mean any disrespect. Fishers of men wasn't around when Jesus gave the Great Commission. He didn't expect people to know those exact steps of doing that for 12 weeks. What you see in the Gospels reflected is as Jesus or the disciples went around, they just encountered people. Where they were in life, the lady at the checkout in the grocery store, the woman by the well, the paralytic, and they began to minister to them. And as they ministered to them, it opened doors to the gospel and it changed their entire lives. What we're doing this year at Highland is we're working off of a word, share. And we're using that as a shorthand for five basic principles we're trying to instill in the hearts of our church members this year. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in our second session together and unpack that because I believe instead of trying to make sure we have to think, we, we've got to learn you know, these standardized ways of evangelizing people and studying with them, it needs to be more natural. It needs to be uh, more spontaneous, you know, m more conversational. And that's really what we're trying to ingrain. I'll talk a little bit more about that. So what is the most evangelistic thing our churches can do today? Let me tell you. It's to have our church members be the church Monday through Saturday. <laughs> that is far more important than having a big event that's evangelistically oriented. You know, I, I'll tell you the honest truth. A lot of churches are moving out, moving out of the gospel meeting business today. It's not, can I tell you something? It's not because, you know, they're turning liberal. It's got nothing to do with that. 
It's just there's no support for it. Life has changed. Schedules have changed. And whether we like the way they changed or not, it's reality. And even when we were having them, for the last 20 years, you could count on two hands the number of churches that were doing those things really, really well. They were trying to actually reach out to their community and, you know, make sure people who were unchurched would be in the building. Instead of being attractional in nature, we need to teach, reteach, reteach the church how to be the church Monday through Saturday. And that's where we really begin to make a difference. So my job, any preacher's job, is to make sure when I stand up before people on Sunday, it's a reminder and a refueling of their purpose in life to glorify God and to help everybody to understand you are part of God's big mission, every single one of you, and to prepare our kids to make sure that when they grow up, they are (laughs) kingdom-minded, that they have these things on their mind. Not just one and done, baptism and I'm out, but to have that as their mindset, what Malvin was talking about. All right, so let's get in the text. John chapter 1. Uh, beginning in verse 35, I'm going to have to put my eyes on. So bear with me for a moment. What's the model we see in Scripture? John was standing with two of his disciples, John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, and I'll almost take this as almost a question. Rabbi? (laughs) Which means, teacher, in other words, will you take us on as your disciples? Will you be our rabbi? Where are you staying? And he says to them, what? Come and see. The great invitation to follow. Can I tell you what I think is happening in our lives, our everyday lives, and also in the church? Our biggest fear should be succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. (laughs) I love that quote, Francis Chan. That's a powerful quote. I think there's a lot of truth in that. When Jesus gave, you know, his last command should be our what? First priority. When he gave that command, he uses a word, mathetusate. Mathetusate, normally your Bibles will say something like this, go and make disciples. Not really. Some people try to translate it as you're going, make disciples. That's not really it either. It's more forceful than that. It's more compact than that. It means go disciple. <laughs> this is your purpose. This is who you are. As you're following you, go disciple. Okay, that's it. The discipling doesn't work without the going. The going has no purpose without the discipling. It's a very compact agreement between the two. That's who we're supposed to be. And in the the words of somebody else, we have strayed from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. Tell us, tell me that's not the truth in most of our churches. We're paying a lot of bills. We're we're making sure the sidewalk's fixed. Where's the next generation coming in? (laughs) In Murray County, we got 26 churches of Christ in our county. And outside of about eight of them, they're all located out in the countryside, every one of them dying. Because there's no new disciples coming in. And the kids are moving off to find work and to go to school. They don't come back. 
that's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for church destruction. So what can we do? It has to start with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. We have to take a personal challenge to what Malvin said earlier. you got to actually think of yourself as a follower who is being changed by the process, being transformed, and we have to have a different mindset. So let me, let me just challenge our mindset for just a minute in making faithful followers. Number one, I'm a teacher at heart. That's why I'm on the floor. I also give handouts. You may forget 90% of what I say, but you can go back and re, reread that. Or you can hopefully share the lesson with somebody else. Teach it as if it's your own. I don't care. Use it. Run with it. Improve it. Number one, teach them Jesus is the hero of the story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be blunt for a moment. People don't remain faithful to, a, to an idea of a church. If all, now please hear me to the end. Okay. If all we ever do is convert people to the idea of the church of Christ, they will not mainly stay faithful. They will, they will be faithful to the principles of the church of Christ because they believe it to be the church of Christ. It starts with buying in to who is the head of the church. And we sell people on that person. And then, being very detail-oriented to the commands, then it matters. And let me give you an illustration of what I mean by this. Please don't run out of here and say, David... David said, church Christ doesn't matter. I'm actually saying the exact opposite of that, and I'm trying to tell you why it matters. My wife, I've been married to uh, my wife now, whew, why did I do that? 16 years, Matt. Yes, good, okay, I got it. All right, 16 years. Here's the deal. Uh, over 16 years, you think I've learned about my wife? I better <laughs> if I'm doing my job, right? And I know things my wife likes, and I know things my wife doesn't like. The things my wife likes, I do them. The things my wife doesn't like or doesn't comment on, I don't do them. Why? Because I love her. Do you remember these words? You've heard them a hundred times, but have you ever actually heard them? Jesus says, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. So if all we ever do is convert people to an idea of a church system, we're doing them a disservice. You have to first sell them on loving the person of Jesus. Then what he loves and how he loves it, then it matters. Now it makes sense because I know Jesus loves that. I know Jesus likes that. So I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to be faithful to his commands. Everybody get it? Okay. So scripture is really big on this idea. And I don't know if we've actually seen it over the years, but Scripture is really, really big on this idea. Because when you look in Scripture, you're going to find over and over again, Jesus is the point of the story. Here in your text, John 1, verses 40 and 41, one of the two hearing John speak followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found... Now, how's this for an example for us? How's this for an example? He first found his own brother Simon... And said to him, we have found the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ. The promised, you know what that word means? It means, y'all knew Christ wasn't his last name, right? You knew that, right? Joseph didn't have Christ on his mailbox out front of his house. Christ is an Old Testament title that meant 
the promised saving king. The prophesied saving king. We have found the prophesied saving king. And he went and found somebody and told them about it. Luke 24, 27. Remember this great story? The two on the road to Emmaus. Crucifixion just happened. Jesus just died. Where are they walking? Two on the road to Emmaus. Where are they walking? Away from Jerusalem. Jesus starts walking with them. They don't know who he is. And they say one of the most ironic things anywhere in Scripture. Jesus says, why are you downcast? And they say, well, we thought we'd found the Christ. Here's the irony. But instead, he died on a cross. We thought we found the Christ, but instead, he died on the cross. That's one of the most ironic statements anywhere in the Bible. And from the scriptures, Jesus began, look what it says. When Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in what? All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is the point of your Bible. And when you convert somebody, when you talk to people about your faith, if you leave Jesus out of it, you are missing the big target. You're missing the big point. People care about what the Bible teaches because they're sold on the person of Jesus. And they love him and they come to care about what he cares about. So first out, there's a hero in the story. Your job is to meet him and then to follow and be transformed. Second is teach them they're signing up to be authentic followers. That it's not just a conversion moment, but rather they are signing up for radical obedience. They're signing up for something far deeper and longer lasting than a moment of conversion. I am, I'm chasing so many rabbits, I'm running out of time, brother. All right, I'm going to try this anyway. Uh, some years ago, my wife was, I went home for, for lunch. And uh, in our back door is the girls' play playroom, right? So I go in there, and my youngest daughter was not yet in um, uh, kindergarten. And, and I go in the back door, and she's throwing toys around. She's mad. And, it's, you know, I'm like, what is, in the world is going on? It's not her normal way of behaving. So I went over to her, and I said, uh, hey, Allie, what's going on? You having a rough day today? She says, well, I have been arguing with your wife all day long. <laughs> True story, okay. We're not always the best <laughs> at following commands, right? Let me tell you something. Jesus is not in your life to be your butler. He's in your life to be king. And he will not take second place. And our job is not to be obstinate or disrespectful or disobedient is to understand his role to take his last command with great weight in our lives and a lot of us have this idea as we've mentioned a couple of times already that baptism is our finish line it's not our finish line baptism is our starting gate uh, look at what the result was for Andrew verse 41 he finds his brother Simon 43 next day Jesus decides to go to Galilee he finds Philip and says follow me Verse 45, what does Philip do? What's the pattern? Philip found Nathanael and says, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Who would have 
expected it. Man, James Harding, one of the heroes of yesteryear in Churches of Christ. Listen to what he once wrote. He wrote this in the 1850s. Y'all ready for this? Y'all reading ahead. This guy wrote this in the 1850s. It could have been written today. He says, I have observed converts much more anxious to be saved than to follow Christ. Our great trouble now, it seems to me, is a vast unconverted membership. Preach it, Brother Harding. A very large percent of the church members among us seem to have very poor concepts of what a Christian ought to be. They're brought into the church during these high-pressure, protracted meetings, and it proves to be a curse instead of a blessing because a very small number of nominal Christians are worthy of the name. We have a culture in a lot of our churches, let's get them converted. We need a disciple culture. Where they know what they're, what did Jesus say? He said, don't sign up until you've counted the cost. Counting the cost means taking up your cross daily. Crosses are for dying. That means every day you put to death a part of yourself, a part of your own desires to do the will of Jesus. And yet what do we see in churches of Christ today? According to Flavio Yeko, his research. Most churches today in our brotherhood baptize 5% of its membership a year. 2% if you don't count children. We average one contact per week per church. Less than 1% of our members engage in personal study. Less than 5% of our members convert someone per year. That won't do, y'all. That will not do. That is the death toll. I'm telling you, something's got to radically change. We don't need more heroes of the faith. We need people who will just follow and take seriously what's already in Scripture. I'm not telling you something you hadn't heard before. It's been in the Bible 2,000 years. Whose fault is it if we hadn't seen it? Three, we have to all see ourselves as local missionaries. All of us. Every one of us. And get rid of this idea that we got that mission committee that meets one Sunday out of the month over in that room over there. Do they hijack your office for such things? Yeah, Matt's got, Matt's office is bigger than mine and Malvin's combined. It's pretty awesome. But you know how they do. They meet in the library. Maybe they hijack his office, you know, or they come into ours. We got to get away from this idea that mission committee is where it's at. Mission committees do great, 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 great work. Don't get me wrong. But it's not their job to be a Christian for me. It's not their job to be a disciple maker for me. And if if that were the case, I'd just ask them to take the Lord's Supper for me this Sunday. Just do it all for me. It's not their responsibility to do that for me. They're trying to do a good work for the cause of Jesus. Verse 43, follow me. Philip finds Nathaniel. He says, come and see, verse 46. This is the pattern you see in Scripture, okay? All of us, every one of us, commanded to go, even if it's to the next room in your house, and to go and make disciples. It starts there, and it echoes out in ever-growing circles, from your home to your workplace, and to the people you meet randomly, like Jesus. So we need to go back to the New Testament, I think. Back to this idea of being followers who make disciples, every one of us, a local missionary. This is the image. On the right is the way we've tried to do church growth for the last 50 years. If we could only get them in the door. You ever heard somebody say that? 
if we could only get them in, let's go door knocking. Door knocking's good. I'm not saying it's not. Let's go door knocking. We'll get them in the door. It's limited. It has some, some success. Don't get me wrong. But the picture of the church should be your right hand. I got to turn around. Your right hand side of the screen. That should be the picture of the church. You come here to get refueled and to learn how to do the right-hand side of the church. And yeah, you can have some attractional big events throughout the year, but the every week blood and guts of the church life should be that right-hand side of the screen. And that's where the real difference begins to be made because you're making individual people are making relationships, building bridges, and showing Jesus to people all week long. That's the difference. So let me ask you. Last week, who was your man born blind? Who was your paralytic? Who was the woman by the well that you encountered? Some of you are like, I didn't meet anybody like this. No, no, no. Oh, hang on. I bet you did. You weren't looking for them. I bet you met them. You just weren't looking. It takes a shift in mindset. All right, so we'll close up shop. Give it a minute for questions. I don't know. We got about five minutes. I mean, you just shut it down. Look at the end of your chapter. Philip is it verse forty-six? Brought Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Right. What does what does Jesus say to Nathaniel? Verse forty-eight. He says, it's this cryptic statement. He says, when I saw you under the tree. And apparently he was all by himself. No clue. Maybe he was resting. Maybe he was praying. Apparently nobody knew he was there. Jesus saw him. And Nathaniel's reaction to this is very personal. Because whatever the significance of this statement, it convinced him. This really is the Christ. And then Jesus, look at the rest. Jesus makes a statement in verse 51. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Bible scholars, what's, what's Jesus quoting? Anybody know? What's Jesus referencing in your Bible? Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder, where Jacob had a vision of angels ascending and descending a ladder. And the idea was, this right here is the point of contact between heaven and earth. You know what Jesus is... You ever read this passage and wonder what in the world he's talking about? In verse 51, Jesus is saying, listen, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the point of contact between heaven and earth. And my job and yours is to bring people to that ladder. Let's pray about it. Father in heaven, we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us. We just pray today you would help us to be a great influence on these wonderful young people here today. Thank you for their mindset being here today. Help us to be an encouragement to them. And may we be challenged just to be true, authentic followers and to take all your commands seriously. Because we love you. It's in the name of Jesus and no other that we pray. Amen. All right. All right I'm just going to close up.